0: cat and cloud coffee podcast
1: is brought to you by
2: califia fine fine almond milk
1: they have a couple red things that just rolled off the product line if you want something that's creamy with coffee and delicious try out some of their nitro cold brew stuff they have three different kinds they have a new
2: orleans they have a mocha and a latte yes sir three different flavors those things are so good they're so creamy and uh you can also look on their blog chris and i have been putting together some things for the old uh the recipes that you can use these drinks with. The Calafia stuff is really good. Central American coffees, Colombian coffee go into those uh, products. and they, they froth. They froth. They, f- they foam. They their cream. They cream. Cream so, foam. Cream foam. Get a nice cream foam. Yeah. It's thinking different. Anyway, check it out. Yeah. And uh, thanks a lot, Calafia. You guys are the bomb, and I really love your products. Respect. So much respect. <laughs> Hello. Hello.
3: Hello. Oh,
2: there she is.
3: You can is hear pic- me. Is your <laughs>
1: picture with dead babies?
3: Oh God! Yes, it is. It's baby doll heads from. <laughs> uh...
1: <laughs> That's cool, man.
3: Yeah. There's a. Have you heard of that island in Ho Hocimilco near uh, Mexico City? Negative. It's like, there's this man who had this little piece of land and. It's basic. There's basically baby dolls like all over the place. It's super creepy.
2: Sounds amazing. Disgusting. It's pretty,
3: it's pretty crazy and creepy and pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing.
2: <sighs> You're really doing it. <laughs> thanks for yep. thanks for being on here. Totally. Um, I'm
3: nervous as hell.
2: Oh, that's how it starts. You'll be fine. Just pretend like. Nobody will ever
1: get this. You should be. You should be nervous. It's a horrible experience.
3: Okay, I'm ready. ready. Terrible. Look at Chris's what? hat.
2: He's posing as a, a farmer in his pictures. Oh, I'm I am from this. Guatemala. <laughs> it's true. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cat
1: and Cloud Coffee Podcast. This is Chris Baca and Jared Truby sitting on a call with the one and only... Jenna Epidaka, who is the Director of Roasting at Royal Coffee in Oakland. Hi, Jen.
3: Hey, thanks for having me here.
1: For sure. We're pretty pumped. So you're the Director of Coffee, Director of Roasting, sorry, at Royal, but you've been roasting coffee for years and years. Why don't you fill in all of our listeners with a little bit about your background? When did you start your coffee journey?
3: Okay, well, I uh, started, I didn't start, I didn't start coffee until 2005. So that would be five years after college, kind of late in the game. And uh, it was through a trip, traveling abroad, working with a group of people. And they grow coffee. And I thought perhaps I could still be involved with this group. It was the Zapatistas in Chiapas. It was, I was a pretty political kid. And uh, I'm like, hey, I could still work with these guys. I could learn how to roast coffee. And I just went out to try and find a job becoming a coffee roaster. So, what? yeah, man.
2: (laughs) So, wait, wait. Did you go out to find a job as a coffee roaster? You said you were in Mexico. Were you still looking for jobs there to try to stay or did you come back to the U.S.?
3: Oh, actually, when I left the U.S., it was to never come back. I was going to (laughs) expatriate. But, (laughs) yeah, I saved up 10 grand and um, I, I worked for a year and I never went out and I spent $5 a day. And I saved ten grand, and I was never coming back. And the day that I left was the day that um, Arnold Schwarzenegger became um, the governor of California. Fantastic! Like, everything's crazy. <laughs> never coming back.
2: Are those feelings surfacing again, or are you feeling okay right now uh, with our political world?
3: Oh, you know, everything's always crazy. I think that I think that I had. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here and be a pain in somebody's side. I'm sure. So I'm not leaving.
1: <laughs> not ours.
2: <laughs> we like it. Okay.
3: We're,
1: we're excited to have you in the, the grand old United States of America. Don't you ever go anywhere. A quick yeah. back
2: story, just because we've been actually trying to have Jen on for a while. And uh, we had her slotted to come on and I came to pick up coffee and I was all excited. We high-fived and hugged and I got to visit Royal. And then like two days later, you had a human being pretty early, right?
3: Yeah, I did. That was That was actually really scary. That was a pretty scary, um, my, my, I was pregnant and my baby came six and a half weeks early. We almost, we almost lost her actually. So we're super lucky that she's here.
2: Yeah. I'm super glad for you. That sounded nuts.
3: It was crazy. I was in shock for like a week afterwards. I couldn't believe it. I think I like posted on Facebook, like, oh my God, I just had a fucking baby. And that was my, my birth (laughs) announcement, (laughs) Um oh I'm sorry, I just said the F word. You're allowed.
1: that's explicit fine.
2: content. Okay. Yeah, okay. we have a
1: we have a disclaimer. People know. You can say yeah, ass, you can say
2: balls, you can say shit. You can say <laughs> balls <laughs> in case you really wanted to. That was that was a direct quote from uh old school, actually. So it's uh you don't have to celebrate it, Frank, is the actual response I was looking for. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so when okay. you when you did land back in the U.S., what was your first coffee job here? Did you go right into roasting here, or did you do the barista situation? How did that play out?
3: Well, okay, so full disclosure, once upon a time in 96 or 97, I might have been a barista for a few years at a coffee shop where uh, it was not. Well, we did serve specialty coffee, but nobody thought of it as special (laughs) um yeah I mean I think you know the the espresso machine would break weekly like it would like no water would come out and nobody knew why you know and the guy would come and fix it and you know there were also these like um little inserts with no holes that you could put in the portafilters and nobody knew why those existed either so you can imagine the delicious coffee we were making.
1: Girl, this must be a manufacturing error.
3: That is exactly <laughs> I think what every person thought, and uh, they lived in the bottom of a drawer.
1: Where um, was this?
3: This was at the, this was at the University of San Francisco, Amazing. where I went to college. Yeah, Rad. yeah. I mean, I'm. Sh- it was a great gig for the guy who repaired the machine. I mean, he was there like every two weeks.
2: <laughs> He's like, I got a job just doing this. Right here. Pretty
3: much, yeah. He did not tell us anything about what we were doing wrong. I can assure you of that.
1: So <laughs> you... These motherfuckers just want to keep cutting me chicks.
3: Pretty much exactly that. <laughs> he had it sweet. So Are you a California, b-
2: California born and raised?
3: I am, yeah. My family's here. Yeah, okay. I'm uh, born in Hayward, California. Okay.
2: Yeah, so, yay. so you're yay yeah. area for life so far. Except for when you yeah. went to Mexico to never come back. Well, you were from where I was from for a while too, right? You
1: lived At, in Modesto.
3: I did. I did. My family, when I was like in fifth grade, fourth grade, moved out to the Central Valley, um, like many did, and uh, I went to high school out in Modesto.
0: Yeah, so you did.
3: I did. That place was really hot. Really, it's fucking so hot. hot. Yeah.
2: Evenings are magical. Evenings are magical in in the valley. That's for sure.
3: Yeah, it's it's a it's a. I, you know, I, I don't love it so much. I, have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was really happy to escape, but, um, you know, I've got a lot of friends out there
2: <laughs> place to visit. Yeah. We're in the same boat on that one. So you came mm-hmm. back and then you started, yeah. re- how did, how does this roasting thing come into play? Cause you know, you're right. most known for roasting coffee.
3: Yeah. Well, so, okay. So I've only, uh, when I came back and I was like, I'm going to work in coffee. Um, intentionally it was never i was never a barista so um i came back and i'm like i have i'm going to start roasting coffee i'm going to buy a coffee roaster and uh it's expensive and it was really expensive and i didn't know how to do it and i was like i don't have this much money so i just got a job as a waitress and fortunately the company that i got a job as a waitress at was McMinimins and they have a coffee program and just sort of, you know, luck of the draw, they sent out um, a notice that they were hiring for a roaster's apprentice and I got the job. Wow. So I just went straight into roasting.
1: Where where so was this McMinimins? This was in the Northwest then, right?
3: Yeah, this is in Portland, Oregon, where okay. I didn't know... When I came back, I didn't know anything about specialty coffee yet either. And I just moved to Portland because my friend said they had cheap rent and he moved there. So I didn't know about Stumptown. I didn't know about any, I didn't know anything. I went there thinking I would just, you know, start roasting coffee. No big deal.
2: I kind of love the innocence of that. And I also love that you are going to have a unique story to tell. So where did you get that first specialty coffee experience that got you that wow moment? Was it Stumptown up there?
3: It was, it was Stumptown. It was, um, yeah, the Stumptown on division. Um, but really what, I don't know. I mean, it was delicious and I had a, I had a great time at the coffee shop and it was very wow. But the, the real wow moment for Portland for me is that every bar and restaurant I went to served good coffee. Mm. Um, and that was really amazing that, The consumers, at a consumer level, people really valued having specialty coffee and really just thought that it should be specialty coffee. It should be delicious coffee. I mean, even the, you know, I think uh, even like the fast food chain that they have up there, Burgerville has, I'm pretty sure it's locally roasted coffee. It's really delicious. So
2: I remember appreciating that as well. And I just go to a diner and be like, wow, they have Stumptown at some, you know, random greasy spoon diner. Sick. Totally.
1: I'll have some. Yeah, they had Good coffee everywhere. It's kinda nice when a community has that expectation. You're not really let down as much as you might be.
3: Oh, completely. We I my aunt came to visit me and we were hanging out. We went to a local a uh, bar that's known for having some really great beers and we're sitting there and she's like, So what you're working in coffee? Tell me what this is. Like I'm sure all of you have experienced with your family members. <laughs> yep. What are you doing? And uh, so you're trying to explain specialty coffee and just mention it and they're and they're trying to wrap their heads around what that is. And then this dude next to us who is wearing you know, I think he was a painter because he had, you know, paint all over his all over his like car hearts. And he's like, well, you know, I really enjoy Yurgachev coffee. (laughs) And you're like, and that just like blew her mind. And she's like, okay, I guess it's legit what you're saying.
2: (laughs) Confirmed by the painter.
3: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Some random dude sitting next to us at the bar.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. So when you went into this, so did they roast their own coffee at McMinniman's? I can't even say it. McMinniman's. McMahon yeah it's got
3: totally
1: it on lock right? got it on you lock. can't
3: even it's hard to spell too and anyhow like if think once you work for them you you totally know how to say it um you
1: get it dialed in
3: you pretty much do, Part of what yeah. do they
1: have a coffee program i didn't know that they had a coffee program
3: they do um they had a coffee program started by a woman named donna maskell who is the woman who hired me and she um Geez, I feel awful. I don't know what what year they started, but they they must have started a few years before she had hired me. Um, There's two roasters. They had an L12, a Probot L12, and a Probot L5, and she roasted all the coffee for all their locations, and it's a pretty big company, so lots of locations to roast for
1: yeah, for people that don't know McMinimins, I mean, they do a bunch of different restaurants, but they also have hotels like all throughout the Northwest, right? They do like the Kennedy School in Portland, all these different pub kind of things. There's, there's a lot of spots. Yeah, yeah
3: more more than likely if you're in Portland, you've probably been to a McMinimins and you had no idea.
1: Right. That was the case for me. I'd gone to a couple places and I had no idea that they were all under this one umbrella company. So my mind was totally blown wide open.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah like they're you, cool
2: You go to like a movie And you're like, well, this movie theater is set up Kind of interesting, and you can go get like a drink And order food and sit here, but I'm watching a movie And you're like, yeah, it's a McMinimins And right next door is like a hot tub And right next door, to that's a, another bar It's the craziest place ever I kind of love it they
3: are, Yeah, they're really good at making Tiny bars in tiny places And multiple bars in Places So really <laughs> it's all about drinking there's a there's a heavy drinking culture there for sure. Yeah, that's true. They call it the kingdom if you work there. So, oh.
2: <laughs> well, I'm a I'm a roaster in the kingdom.
3: Yeah, feels cool. Much. There's a distiller. They make wine. They grow vegetables. They brew beer. Um, they have they're they're a fan they're a fantastic company. They're a really big company. So it's where I really learned like even got my first i don't know like introduction to even like corporate corporate culture and, like how corporations work that's probably so a big
1: one yeah that'd be so interesting when you when you started roasting so the what was the woman's name who started the coffee program again
3: Donna Donna, Donna. Maskell. was mm-hmm.
1: she a roaster was she kind of your mentor in roasting or did they cut you loose and were like figure this out make it taste good
3: Donna was uh, Donna is a huge hippie that started who is, it? okay oh I can tell you guys how she started roasting, how she got into coffee so Donna Maskell um, bought a coffee roasting business and the way she bought this business is really funny because she um, wasn't a coffee drinker or a coffee lover for that matter um, what happened was her her husband was a mushroom farmer of the um, illegal type. or He was a consultant, actually, and he um, went to prison for that. And one of the ways you can keep the government from taking all of your possessions is by going into debt. And so they went into debt and she bought a business I mean, of multiple things that she did. But one of the things is she bought this business. And so she basically learned to love coffee through purchasing a coffee roasting business from someone else.
1: That's amazing.
3: It's hilarious. That's awesome. (laughs) That's
1: just the most ridiculous thing ever. I like it.
3: (laughs) She's like, she was hilarious. She was powerful. She's funny. She's just, she used to follow the Grateful Dead around, which means she's a perfect fit for McMinimans because they have Grateful Dead stuff like everywhere.
2: So does our partner uh, Charles. Charles follows them around as well.
3: Oh, yeah. (laughs)
2: He's seen them three times since they had a baby.
3: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. I didn't know that they still travel. Do they? Isn't it? I thought everybody just moved to fish now or something. They, I don't know.
2: They just played a show with uh, what's his face. You love the love guy. What's his name? Chris? Jason Mraz? The other guy. Wait, what? I don't know. <laughs> uh, the guitar guy who dated Katie sing Perry. Sing that again. Uh, I can't sing it again. He does the other one, like "Your Body's a Wonderland."
1: Oh, oh, oh. yeah, yeah. Ah, um, uh, is it John Mayer? That's the one.
3: Oh my goodness!
0: He's playing with them.
1: Yeah, I yeah I remember Charles saying that, and I thought that was a weird combo, but maybe not. Phoenix loves his size. Shit, just getting weird. <laughs> like no big deal. Oh. So does does she still roast coffee? What what does Donna do now? Is she still involved in coffee at all? This is kind of an interesting story. I like this.
3: Oh well, Donna's not Donna. Um, after Donna uh, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and so she immediately uh, left to try and treat herself and get better. And she, unfortunately, she she did not make it. She passed away. Um, it it definitely took her. So, um, I don't know. <laughs> short sorry. story. Short story. Oh, yeah. Not roasting anymore. <laughs> Donna is not roasting anymore, and. During that time is when, um, when I stepped up and started running the roasting department and for McVinamins. And so, yeah, that's,
1: that's crazy. So RIP Donna, but what a cool story and a cool little mentor to have. That's kind of fun.
3: Yeah. I mean, she was, she was rad. She was, she was really, she was super helpful because at this time, like when I'm a roasting apprentice, I'm roasting all the coffee. And then all of a sudden, she's like, hey, I got to go, because if I don't leave, I'm going to die, you know, and good luck. (laughs) But she's my buddy, and so she still helped me through. She introduced me to a lot of really great people. And fortunately, she had already developed a lot of really great relationships in the industry. So when I came on, everyone in the industry was super friendly and very supportive and Like our traders who happened to be at Royal Coffee um, answered every single stupid question I had. And I had plenty of them because I knew absolutely nothing and I was desperate to learn as fast as possible.
1: Well, that's kind of wild because, okay, you're apprentice roasting and now all of a sudden, boom, you're in charge. And it's not like you're in charge of a micro roastery that's doing, oh, we're doing a few hundred pounds a week. It's like you guys are doing thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds a week, I'm imagining.
3: Yeah, I mean, not not crazy time big, but we were doing about twelve twelve to fifteen hundred a week at that time. It's
1: pretty. And how busy. does that? That's pretty busy for someone who's never run a roasting operation.
3: It is. It's and pretty then, busy.
1: I imagine the logistics are interesting because it's not. You know, you're shipping to. I mean, how many locations were you shipping to? Fifteen. Let's
3: see. No, at that time there was, or was probably a lot less? forty. Five locations Jeez. I think yeah I think <laughs> now there's over 65 locations so but at that time I know we had 42 espresso machines
1: so it seems like an abnormally low amount of coffee roasted for that many places
3: true but it's restaurants so, right. you know and some places too it's uh some places are lunch to dinner so most of your coffee might just be made for Irish coffees.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. So they're not really Mm -hmm. big in the breakfast zone.
3: Correct. Correct. Only at the hotels or breakfast. Gotcha. Yeah. And it was, it was cool as I, I mean, being there, it was tough to know about roasting in general. Like there wasn't a lot of information available and people certainly, there was still sort of like a secretive culture about how to roast delicious coffee. What is delicious coffee? I mean, a few friends had thought that I was like, they're like, if you really want to be in coffee, you should be working for Stumptown. Why are you wasting your time at this, at this, uh, weird place, you know, that's not focused on coffee, but it was actually a really great place for me to learn. Um, anyhow, as I learned, it was really cool to start, um, incorporating different things in like we, uh, we started making sure that all of the coffee was rotated, on a weekly basis. So if you were at a McMinimins, you would never have coffee that was over seven days old served to you.
2: That's awesome.
3: Uh, Definitely. I mean, there's lots of, lots of great stuff. They, they would grind fresh. There's some really cool stuff that we were able to do at the hotels. Um, my favorite one was when they built the, so they, they bought another school in Bend, Oregon, and when we decided to do the coffee program there, one of the cool things I got to do was um, your experience with coffee if you were staying in a room was you would check into the hotel and one of the questions you would be asked is uh, you'd get to, you know, if you wanted coffee and if you did, you'd get a menu that would say like uh, Ethiopian and then it would say what type of coffee it was or, you know, if you want the dark the dark blend which was black rabbit or do you want decaf? And you would choose the one that you chose that you wanted and then with your paper in the morning, one of the people who worked at the hotel would grind your coffee fresh in a little bag, enough to make two pots of coffee and leave it with your paper every morning for your stay. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it was really cool. So
2: How long did you end up working at M- Minimans?
3: Five years. Okay. Yeah. So That's yeah, awesome. five years.
2: And it
1: and when seemed you positive, positive. it's not, yeah, it sounds great.
3: It was good. There was a lot to do. I mean, I learned a lot and the thing, but there were some restrictions sort of, I, I wanted to learn more about specialty coffee and the thing that I wasn't going to learn was um, stuff that you get to learn as a barista working for other companies like uh, different producers and um, where coffee comes from and like, I mean, at McMinimans, it's a very limited menu. So you might buy a couple of different coffees, and then you just need to have some consistent blends, and that's golden. But I wasn't going to learn. There was no reason for me to be a Q grader or learn more. So I, w- I was seeking more knowledge. I wanted to learn how to roast differently, roast coffees differently. Um, I wanted more more information. So, So what did you do? I applied to work for um echo who was then bought by intelligentsia at that at that moment in time
2: so you jumped on with andrew barnett and crew
3: yeah yeah in fact it was uh gabe buscana and jay Lieski who interviewed me over skype it was the first time i'd ever been on skype
2: Uh huh. and uh
3: yeah
2: i those, remember that day those days when it was gabe and jay
3: yeah gabe and jay and um yeah, and Drew. Their interviews so, was hilarious, so I have to say.
1: I can't even imagine.
3: They um <laughs> they asked me if I was a Lord of the Rings character. Which one am I? <laughs>
1: What'd you go with? Uh
3: well, I didn't know the names of any of them, so that uh, was a little
1: That's kind of a bummer.
3: Yeah, that was kind of a bummer, but I think I went with the dwarf because I'm kind of stubborn but i'm a hard worker and i i like axes i guess <laughs>
2: very dangerous at a short distance that's his quote What? what's his name jared you know his name uh yeah i think it's Gimli. Gimli.
1: he's got the beard and he's just a surly, Son surly of loin. i'm pretty sure <laughs> so that was at a really interesting time because echo was in santa rosa Was that right?
0: right. Mm -hmm.
1: And they were kind of transitioning into or trying to transition into San Francisco under the Intelligentsia umbrella. And I I remember talking to Drew a lot during that era because we had worked together at Ritual and there was many, many holdups and it took a very long time.
3: Yeah, so many holdups. I mean, the first holdup was the machine. So they were contracting Steve Pardini to build a machine for them. Or to refurbish um, a UG-22. And so and that finished, and they installed it. But that did not, after, so I started in 2010, and it I, I think it took a year or a year and a half before that machine was installed in the space in Petro Hill. So
1: so were you roasting, there was a Diedrich at Echo, right? In Santa Rosa, yeah. is
3: that correct? Yes, a Diedrich IR-12. Mm-hmm. And there's like a lineage for roasters. Like that machine, when we moved, we sold it to um, Steve Mearsch at Poli Collective in Brooklyn. Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Is it
1: still there right now?
3: He still has it. Um, I don't know. I saw a picture of Andrew Barnett with it. And I don't know. I feel like there's... I, I know that Pulley's maybe make is making a push to come to the West Coast. So maybe that machine will come back to the West Coast. That would be pretty cool. Oh,
2: baby. That's...
1: That's pretty sick. I remember when we started roasting at Ritual, we had Greta was her name. And it was the old school L5 that was actually owned by Stumptown. They kind of let us borrow it. Uh And that was in the shop for years and years. And then when we swapped it out for the other, I think the L12, maybe it was, that thing ended up back at the main roastery at Stumptown, which I saw a couple of years ago and it kind of tripped me out. No way. Yeah, it was just there. I don't even know if they used it for anything. Maybe like mm-hmm. little tiny geisha batches or something.
3: You know what's crazy is that when I was at McMinimins, we had an L12 and an L5. And the L5 was purchased uh, by this guy. I can't remember his name, but he was somewhere in Santa Rosa. And um, and now it's actually at Andytown in San Francisco.
1: The lives of those things are so, I want to talk to a roaster, like a machine, and I want it to tell me all the stories about all the people that have worked on it and all the weird things that it's seen.
3: Yeah, yeah. So
1: if you can figure out how to make that technology happen and bridge the space-time continuum, that'd be great.
3: Yeah, we'll, we'll start an ancestry page for roasting machines.
1: Down, perfect. Do, Love do it. We,
3: maybe we can have a subcategory for espresso machines. Is that Fantastic. Does that work as well?
2: Yeah. Even, yes. Great. We're, we're, yeah.
1: I One like
3: sliver
2: of metal will take is all it takes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man. So you started roasting at Echo, and then did you stay through the transition to San Francisco?
3: I did. I stayed, and then I was. Um, I mean, I commuted to Santa Rosa for for a long time, and then. Yeah, and then we moved to San Francisco, roasted on the UG 22, which was really cool. Um, And then I just, I was approached from a friend, a friend told me that Blue Bottle was hiring. And, you know, I live in Oakland, and it was a really cool opportunity to be the West Coast production manager, which meant that I was in charge of um, the Oakland roasting facility.
2: That's awesome. That's a big one.
3: It was a big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal for me and it felt like a really good fit and I when I went over there, you know how like sometimes you go somewhere and you just know you're like I'm going to work here.
0: Yep. And, yeah.
3: Yeah, and I had that feeling and I was like, "Okay." It was fantastic. I worked with a lot of really great people there.
2: Serendipitous. So. That's that's actually when you know you're doing the right thing. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you, you stepped in there, was that was that an overwhelming experience or was that did you kind of feel at home?
3: Uh, I I think I felt at home, really. I mean, there was there was so many exciting things to do there. Um, I really grew as a manager there. I had a big team of people that um, I was responsible like for their happiness. I felt, and um, so I was responsible for the production team and as well as the roasting team.
2: How were their I, systems um, like for onboarding you and all that, and their orientation and all that stuff? Did you do all of that?
3: Well. That was not as fine tuned as it might be now. They 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 definitely have like a a more formalized structure now. So uh, and I think a lot of people had a a lot on their plate. So Arno hired me and he just basically was like, "Okay, do it. (laughs) Go to work." Yeah.
2: (laughs) So you were already trusted as a roaster, basically.
3: Yeah, I was trusted. I was definitely trusted. And so my the first thing that I had to do was learn what what does Blue Bottle want their coffee to taste like and how can I aid in making that coffee taste the way that they want it to taste like? You know, like, that's what I do. My whole life as a production roaster was, you know, like worked for McMinnimans. It's like, what do the McMinimins brothers, what do they want their coffee to taste like? How can I make that for them the best possible experience? And then Intelligentsia was the same way. Like, it wasn't... I mean, sure. Like maybe they might want my opinion, but really, as a production roaster, you're roasting for the palates of the people who own the company and what they want that coffee to taste like, and you need to make it happen. Right. Yeah.
2: Did there ever become a point where you are fully in charge of, you know, putting out exactly how and what you wanted out of the roaster?
3: uh, There's there's times when you can do that a little, you know, and usually that comes in with a single origins, but for your blends for right. any roasting company you have blends those are those need to be consistent and your ingredients are going to change you know over time they always change with inventory and you need to try and make it taste the same so that way your customers know like that's what Bella Donovan supposed to taste like you know I know when I go to Blue Bottle and I have Bella Donovan, it tastes like this or when I go to Blue Bottle and I have Hayes Valley it tastes like this when I go to Intelli have Black Cat it tastes like this but when you get a single origin you have the opportunity to make something unique you know and and you want to make it taste the best that you possibly can so yeah if you want to put in yeah that's you know that's that's the the plight of the roaster, for sure.
2: That's a that's a kind of a wise thing to say for any of the younger baristas out there because I remember finding myself in this place when I was quite a bit younger in coffee where I would want those blends and things to you'd almost grow bored of them as a somebody who uses them all day every day you know and oh, you'd, yeah you'd want them to be more complex and different and you'd find I would find myself at least early on. I, I guess the ultimate thing is you become selfish, right? When you're young sometimes and you you don't think about actually the guest experience first, you think about your own and how to make it more fun for you. And so, I mean, as simple as that sounds to you and maybe Chris and I, it's actually a, a little bit of a word of wisdom for all you young baristas out there who can sometimes find yourself talking down on your company's blends. They're actually probably some of the most important things your companies have
3: for, oh, yeah. for their business like- model. Totally. They're like 80% of what's roasted, you know, usually with most companies. It's it's the majority of what is sold. Yeah. It's it's what pays you. (laughs) It is.
2: Well, and can I ask you, can I ask you kind of a random, it's not random. You can answer it however you answer it, but do you, like, where do you find yourself as far as like enjoying, you know, blends? Do you, do you actually straight up enjoy them or do you, do you enjoy them for what they're, you know, what they're made for? You know, like what's your perspective on those things? Not specifically where you work, but just in general.
3: Hmm. Um. I like to. I like the reliability of a blend. You know, there's certain blends that I don't enjoy, but I. You know, but once you know what's inside of them. Uh. I don't know. That's kind of an odd question. I'm trying to think of like how I would answer that. I often drink blends, so. Right. Throw that out there to everybody. Um, well, here's kind of I where see, I'm coming from. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Just, well, where I'm coming from is this is um. So for me. I, I'm I'm liking blends and I'm starting to, because we're roasting coffee, starting to kind of get more into the idea of blends. And I like single origin coffees as well. But as kind of an industry as a whole right now, there's, and ever since I've been in it really, it's always been this, we talk about single origin coffees more, we represent single origin coffees, and I sense... And I can feel like there's it's a hard it's a hard sell at times to just only push single origin coffees at the general consumer. Um, depending on your depending on your company and how much of that single origin you have, because they come and go so quickly that it's hard for consumers to develop relationships with coffee. And so I just I guess I'm trying to find a way, and I'm wondering how many people are more advocates for figuring out more exciting blends that can be a little more consistent or something more approachable. I'm just thinking about approachability a lot and i like blends so i was just trying to get your opinion
3: yeah i th- i think that you 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 definitely know all of the positive spins on why you should have a blend and then i th- i think also there's a bit a blend is a bit of a dirty word in specialty coffee because people are like oh that's where you put all of your trash coffee you know that's where you put all of your old stuff and so i think there's a certain customer that only drinks single origins because they feel like they're getting the best of the best,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and right. um, and that's not necessarily true, you know. Plus, you know, coffee's agricultural, and and you're you are subject based. I mean, you can only serve what's available. So, you know, if there's no new coffee, there are dry periods when there is no fresh coffee to roast, and everybody knows. It and everybody knows it. Everybody gets depressed between January until all the new centrals come in whenever that might be, you know, and yes, there's kind of, yeah. You know, I mean, you have a few Rwandas coming in, you might have some Sumatra, but like, you know, maybe some late harvest Colombians, but like for the most part, it's a dry season. You're like, Oh my God, when is new crop coming in? And then, and you kind of get to this point, you're like, I don't even know how I can roast this coffee anymore. I <laughs> yeah, try everything. Jeez. I'm trying to make it taste the best I can. Then fresh crop comes in and you're like, this is why I roast coffee and love my job.
1: I think it's just so important to be able to have that conversation and get rid of the stigma that blends versus single origin, that one is better or worse than the others, because they're really just targeted for different experiences. And I think that conversation doesn't happen enough. And that really needs to be out there, because as a barista, those single origins that's what really charges you up, you know what I mean? Cuz that makes your job a little bit more fun, it makes it more interesting. It what makes like today's different than yesterday, next month is different, it's going to be different than this month. So that's like really energizing. Even though 80% of your coffee sold might be a blend. So I I just don't like the idea that people always see single origin as like this is the premium. You know whether it maybe or not. I think it's like these are both very important for our business. They're both very important for our customer experience.
2: And without both of these things, we fail.
0: Completely.
2: I also have to say thank you for being um, open and honest about like that dry period in coffee. Uh, I'm sure there are people somehow who like fly in fresh, fresh crop coffee and spend all the money in the world on getting it there to be able to claim that. But it's like a big window to open where it's like there is a dry season for most, if not all of us in coffee and nobody's going to be able to, to, maybe necessarily claim that this is fresh, fresh crop coffee during that time. Always. It's not necessarily, you know, a hundred percent of the time, but it's, that's the reality.
3: Well, and we're, we are all, we all experience it. So it's right. not like, it's not like, Oh, well just those people are off their game. You know, it's everyone. And, um, it, and also, I mean, if things are late or if there's like a, you know, a holdup at, at the country. Um, like, I don't know, like sometimes there's government holdups, like people, we can't get the coffee, like actually like on the boat or, you know, there could be labor strikes. Exactly. There could be, can't get the coffee off the boat. There's lots of things that can happen that can delay, um, new crop coffees. So we're all subject to it. It all happens to all of us.
2: So you were at blue bottle forever and now you're director of Roasting, is that what it was? Or director of coffee, roasting? What was yeah, it?
3: director of roasting. So, yeah, so I was brought on to work on the Crown project um, with like a really cool, great group of people.
1: Talk about that for a little bit because I don't know if a lot of people know what that is.
3: Sure. So, the Crown is, well, the Crown is actually a building. Okay. So, it's a building that Royal Coffee is going to have its. Um, And it's going to be in downtown Oakland. And that space is going to be a presentation space, a tasting room, a cupping lab, a roasting lab, pretty much all things that can just um, facilitate the celebration of coffee, whether you are celebrating it, drinking it, you want to roast it, education. uh, We'll have, you know, if there's movies, we can show films there, you know, have discussions, talks demonstrations, whatever, it can all happen at this location.
1: And will this all be open to the general public?
3: It will. It will be open to the general public. So um, it'll be open to people who just want to come in and grab a cup of coffee. Um, It'll be open to industry professionals. It'll be a great place for folks to, if they're purchasing green coffee, to come and and have a nice cupping with their trader. Um, It could be open to anybody who wants to take Classes. Learn how to be a better barista. Learn how to roast coffee. Totally open.
2: That sounds great.
3: Yeah, it's gonna be really cool. By I'm the excited. way, world,
2: we buy Cat and Cloud buy some of our coffee through Royal, and I just have to shout all of that team out over there. You guys have been really accommodating for us, young up and coming roaster people who don't have it all together yet. <laughs> so thank you.
0: You're very. We need welcome. one
2: one bag released. <laughs>
1: Can you release one bag? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Jared's gonna come
1: pick it up. He's gonna come pick it up in his car. Yeah. Um, He gets coffee in the wagon. Yeah, Jen, I've
2: been there uh three weeks in a row actually.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's how it is when you pick up one bag at a time.
2: (laughs) Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's six, Jen. Okay.
0: Okay. That's good. Good. That's great.
1: I've seen the the mock-up drawings for the crown space and it looks fantastic. And I love the idea and it's crazy that something like that doesn't really exist yet. You know, yeah. specialty coffee has been immensely popular, but this is going to be like a smorgasbord of of learning and and education available to anyone, which is awesome.
3: Yeah, I mean, I it's it's a bit of it's a bit of a wild card, you know. It's super exciting. So, I mean, I yeah, I, I don't know. I'm really happy that people are into it and I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a great place for people to learn about coffee.
1: Well I have to throw this out here, just right now. The Bay Area is psychotic right now in the best way ever. There's so much stuff going on here. You know, you were on that roaster panel that uh stumped the roaster that Cafe Imports held over at the the Berkeley Co Roast space, which for people who don't know, it's a big co roasting space. There's a bunch of different roasters you can Rent time on a roaster there, come in and do stuff. There's the Bay Area coffee communities have been having events all over yeah. the place. There's there's been a lot of stuff going. On. It's really exciting time to be in the Bay Area.
3: It is, it is. We also have a Bay Area roasters group um, that, for the most part, like in the country, there's there's only like a few roasting groups that um, that I'm aware of, uh, like like three or four. You know, and Bay Area roasters group is one that is one of the most active, which is really cool. It was started by um, Tom Owens of Sweet Maria's and I think Danny Goot's pretty much the administrator now. And like they'll just get together and have cuppings and talk about roasting and maybe blending or everybody roasts the same coffees and then tasting those coffees. Um, Roasters are a little bit different than baristas. We're a bit more um, in our shells. We're kind of the crabs of the sea, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> so it's a little harder to get us out
1: yeah i'm so sad i can't go to a lot of the events because they're at um weird times for me mm-hmm. and we're just like oh we want to go but we can't but we're trying to go out whenever we can so it's yeah it's been awesome shout out to all those people who make events happen i, I freaking love that stuff so what's the what's the projected timeline on the crown
3: well, I, I've been on maternity leave, so mm. I'm probably not the best person to ask. But I think I think uh, I, I think they're breaking ground on construction. I, I think in September, so that's pretty exciting. And then from there, I couldn't say. So probably, I mean, more than likely, 2017. I just don't know exactly when.
2: Will you be working out of that space when it opens, or will you stay at the cool little spot at the end of the harbor or whatever?
3: Yeah, the, that, mar- that marina is beautiful. It feels like a piece of San Diego landed in the Bay Area. It does. Um, but I will be working in downtown Oakland out of the Crown. So that's where the roasting lab will be located. So I'll be there. Out the Crown. Um, at the Crown. Yeah.
1: What do you think a project like this has the potential to do to specialty coffee? Obviously, it's going to be a cool place. But what are some of the big overall arch- arching goals of a project like this?
3: Okay, well one of the things that I think is really cool about a project like this is that there are benefits when you work at a larger roasting company that has multiple people roasting coffee. And I got to experience that at both Blue Bottle and Intelligentsia where if you look at the entire company, um there could be 10 coffee roasters. And so if we're all roasting coffee and we're having trouble with a coffee, um you know, you have a an immediate community of people to chat with about that specific coffee, how to make it taste better, um, or to get information about like, Hey, what did you do? What worked for you? What didn't work for you? Um, whereas now at the crown, we have a team, um, and we're doing these analysis. They're calling them crown analysis and we're publishing them on a weekly basis. And there's a team of us. So there's Chris Kornman, who was the, who was, um, the quality control manager at Intelligentsia before. And also before that, he was a production roaster with me at Intelligentsia. That's how I know him. And uh, he is, his part of the analysis is just talking about the green coffee, where the coffee comes from and um, giving you the, giving you all of the metrics that you, that you would, that you would hope to have Um, water activity, moisture content, density, um, screen size samples of that specific coffee, like all these, all this cool information that you could know about this coffee. Like what about that green coffee may affect how it roasts. And then, and then I do a roast analysis of that coffee where I roasted a couple of ways. I don't have a large sample. So, you know, it's, uh, I, you know, like fortunately I have enough experience that I can hopefully by the second roast come up with something salvageable or delicious. And, uh, so I'll roast that coffee and talk about how it reacts in the drum. And then we have another person talking about brewing that coffee and depending on how it was roasted and looking at maybe solubility, um, percentages and anyways, it's just a a lot of information about one coffee to be able to offer to roasters who may roast by themselves, you know, who don't have a, an entire quality control team to talk with so can i ask you a roasting question yeah
2: this is actually this is something that you may be able to help me and chris with chris and i with okay i'm gonna give you just like the general overall you you can tell me how you may approach this we have a coffee that at first crack almost no matter what we're doing currently it basically wants to kind of like Flat line, like it's losing a t- ton of moisture, and it it basically just wants to cool off. That rate of rise, like insanely fast, and we've been doing a couple different things to try to work on like rounding out that curve so it doesn't you know make a ninety. Basically, do you uh-huh. know what I'm saying? Do you kind of follow me so far? I know what
3: you're saying. Yeah. um
2: Could you give me one way you might approach that? Because we keep on talking about theories, but we currently roast one day a week and we roast a batch to two batches of it. And so it's one of those things where we don't really have the inventory to keep messing with it. I would love some help.
3: Okay. All right. So let me ask some questions about this coffee. Yes. So based on what you see, what you're seeing and how it's reacting Sounds like this could potentially be a pretty dense coffee. Is it an Ethiopian coffee or high-altitude coffee?
2: You are correct. So we actually have, yeah, it's an Ethiopian coffee, and it's washed.
3: Okay, an Ethiopian washed coffee. Okay, so what I've noticed before I went on leave, a lot of coffees reacted like this for me in the drum, okay? And um, when it gets through this point, it seems to just really bottom out You're right install, right? Yes. So there's a few things that you could do you could try giving it more energy okay but then you also don't want it to necessarily like race through but right. i think overall you definitely need to give it more energy so a couple of different ways you can do that and and it and you can decide which which way to go based on what you're already doing okay so you could either try a higher charge temp okay right you could try um apl- you could try applying more heat uh, during the drying stage and the Maillard stage and maybe not backing off nearly as much before don't back off before first crack. Basically. Right. Okay? right. Okay. In fact, maybe maybe don't maybe you're backing off too much. You know, maybe you shouldn't back off until you're actually rolling in first crack.
2: Yep.
1: Which is kind of what we did the last couple of times too. Yeah. Cause we had, we had been backing off. And we're like, no, we need to run this thing, run a train on this thing.
2: Yeah. I think yeah. Maybe a higher charge temp and a little more gas towards the beginning might be the answer. Have you experienced, um, do you do anything with airflow at this? It would, you know, like do you give less airflow towards the beginning or is airflow kind of a static thing for you as far as adjustments
3: go? I think it depends. It depends on what your machine, um, you know the probatino it's pretty static basically okay. the only way that you can affect airflow on the probatino is maybe by introducing more more velocity in the drum and the only way to do that is to maybe lower your batch size okay okay so lowering your batch size might actually help you guys could potentially create more convective heat mm-hmm. okay so um I don't know what kind of roaster you guys are roasting on. If you were roasting on a Diedrich, you actually have a lot more. You have a lot more things that you can adjust. It's
0: it's an we're on twelve.
2: Yeah.
3: Okay. Okay. So you guys just have the airflow that you have, and you just need to deal with
2: it. Pretty much. <laughs> well, we,
3: yeah, we try some tough.
2: things.
1: We manipulate it yeah. a little bit since you know we don't have the roast and cool. So you're basically diverting air through the drum or through the through the tray.
3: Right. And Okay. So
1: we actually use that mechanism, not as it's intended to, but to control airflow a little bit.
3: Okay. So basically then what you're doing is when you pull that lever, you're taking airflow away, right? right? Otherwise it's completely on.
0: Yes. Correct. Correct.
3: So I would say that if you're having, if you want to have with this coffee, you should just have a hundred percent open through the whole time. Mm, interesting. Uh, I think that, Like a Diedrich, for instance, roasts in a way where they say to close airflow off um, until it reaches about Maillard, and then you might open it up. Um, And there were times when I would roast it more like at 50-50 or open for like a really dense Rwandan coffee. But I'd also lower my batch size. So right, yeah. I think with an L5, the one thing that you can definitely do is lower your batch size. Okay. If that's an option. Yeah,
2: and then I, I honestly think maybe a higher charge temp is a wise thing to do as well, and maybe maybe mm-hmm. that'll help. Ah, I love it. I also have to tell give you a, a compliment. Uh, early on in my competition, or maybe I don't know, midway through my competition world year, you would you would kind of be around, and I just remember a few times that you gave me um, unsolicited positive encouragement and said a lot of nice things to me and I just got to tell you thank you because I've never told you that before and I remember being like this gen girl is really nice and encouraging
3: really oh my gosh you're welcome I I
2: just I just have to tell you that yeah I remember I remember not feeling super pumped once and you said a bunch of nice things and about my performance and stuff and how I should be more confident in it and I was like oh Oh, man that's cool (laughs) she's been in the industry for a long time she knows coffee and I thought it was cool so anyways thank you
3: Oh, that's, that's so sweet. I, I don't know anything about competitions. I think you guys are really brave for being a part of them. I, it's just being, I mean, to stand up there and be scrutinized by so many judges, it's just, Oh, it looks so makes me anxious just even thinking about it. So
1: it was pretty funny. Cause back, back then, I don't know if this, if it still works like this, but you're a barista, right? And you're just a kid. And no matter what, no matter what like experience you had, if you were a roaster, like you knew more about coffee than a barista did. That was just kind of like the vibe that was happening. So if a roaster told you you were doing something right, you're all, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> <They're> like, She's <laughs> feeling my stuff. She says it's tight. She says I'm doing a good job. She's so, a roaster. So real. <laughs> so real.
3: Really? Oh, <laughs> oh my for God. sure. Oh, yeah. That means that a bunch of roasters have you guys totally like fooled.
2: <laughs> well, we know that now.
3: <laughs> right? <laughs>
2: You shouldn't That's have done serious. that. You you had all the power, Jen.
3: <laughs> oh, whatever. Open. I'm an open book. You want to know? I'll tell you. We
2: love maybe. it. You know, we are we are getting towards the end. I, I have one more little question, and then maybe we'll close this thing out. But over the years, how's your maybe not your approach per se? Because I mean, you probably just learned a lot. But how's like your your view of coffee roasting changed with you know like with technology and with just being in it for so long, you know, how, how's that evolved?
3: Well, I think like, I think I'm, I don't know, like, I guess I'm more open to being able to admit that I, that I might not know the answer, you know? Um, and it's, it's okay to like, not know how to approach something and ask other people for help. Um, I, I like having I, I like working with a team. I like getting lots of feedback from other people. Like I don't need to be a uh, a know it all. I don't need to know everything. So I don't know, I'm like more humble, I guess.
2: Do you you're use more wise profiling? So I'm being you asked use to hold
3: a baby right now. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's chill.
0: Babies
3: um, are cool. Babies are good. Oh, um, hey there. Oh, that's oh, a baby, hey.
2: baby. I can hear you. I can hear. This baby, baby
3: yeah. voice. This baby wants a bottle, let me tell you.
0: Oh, it
2: does. I yes, mean, we can, does. we can close this thing out, too. If you need a baby up, this is that's important stuff. She's cute.
3: We're good. We're good. Um, I guess, yeah, I use software. You can use software. It's great. But, you know, at some point, um, electricity goes out and you might, or the internet, stops and you don't have software, what are you going to do? You still need to roast that coffee. You still need to be able to pay attention to what you're doing.
0: Um,
3: Roasting software, though, is really nice because a lot of times if you're, if you use it properly, then you're paying attention to what you're roasting and there's this machine that's recording what you did, which is fantastic because then when you go back and taste that coffee the next day, you cup it or perhaps you, um, you know, you're serving it on bar And it doesn't taste very well, you know, and you're like, oh, man, what's that batch from? And then you can go back and see what you did and be like, ooh, don't do that again. Or great, let's do that again. That was super successful. Mm
0: -hmm. So,
3: but I would say that it's a lot of people like to roast to the curve and like they're like, "Okay, I found my curve and now I'm just going to keep repeating that curve. And um, I'm skeptical that that makes delicious coffee.
2: I like that you're skeptical.
3: I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, look at your green coffee, say. Say you buy, you buy this beautiful Ethiopian coffee. It came from a cooperative. It's delicious. There's an entire container of it. You know, it comes from a group of, a large group of small growers. Um, When you look at that coffee, it's not completely uniform. Um, Bag to bag can differ. Uh, Batch to batch can differ. Uh, Lots of things can happen, and you may need to make an adjustment on the fly. So, and you can if you're paying attention, but if you're just roasting to a curve or you're roasting on a program, then it's just not going to taste good for some reason. You have to, you know, and you might not know what those little things are. I mean, there's times when I've roasted a coffee and it smelled like I'm roasting a different batch and it smelled different. And I think that it could have just been a bag that was in a crappy spot on the container and maybe got a little musty.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of things in life are like that. And it's important to acknowledge those inconsistencies because they're not necessarily bad. They just exist. And I struggle with that in the espresso world a lot of the time because we're kind of in the past couple of years living in a, in a world where this is your recipe. This is what you do. And it's like, do I do 19 three and you know the exact same recipe every day with quote unquote the same coffee when it does have these little nuances to it and maybe i want to pull it a little longer one day or maybe i want to change the dose a little bit one day so i think it's important to know that that you know you can have those freedoms and create create yeah you know
3: there's also there's a lot of things i mean also with your roaster it's not just the the line but um, if you say you say you're like okay, you know when I roast this coffee, I always drop at this charge temperature, and I always make this gas adjustment at this minute, and I always open my airflow at this minute, you know, and or, I mean, there's lots of things that you can do, um, but your machine will act differently um, through the different seasons. It acts. Your first roast isn't exactly like your next, your second roast or your third roast of a coffee. Um, how your machine is roasting in the morning is not exactly how it roasts in the afternoon when it's super fricking hot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you know, the way that you were roasting that coffee earlier when your machine was cold, you know, you had a great roast. You'll say you wanted it to be ten and a half minute long roast, and then if you roast it the same way in the afternoon all of a sudden you're getting eight minute roasts, you know, because your machine is has so much more heat available. Right. You know, so you do have to make adjustments. Anyhow, I just think if you're gonna pay somebody to be a knowledgeable roaster, have them roast your coffee. All and right. roasters should record what they do and when they don't do things right, they should be honest about what they did and not make up not make it up.
2: <laughs> Love it. Yeah. We're coming up on an hour, so we should, let's let you get back to life. And I'm so thankful that you came by, or, well, called in, or however we call this thing. We're on the show. We're on the show.
3: <laughs> I'm happy, too. Thanks for uh, being so nice to me. Appreciate it.
2: Well, we like you. <laughs> it's true. We
1: do. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's wrapping it up. This has been the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast with... Jen Epidaka, it's so awesome that you're so open about roast. I love it. Me too. More people should be like you. It's it's fantastic. It makes me feel refreshed.
3: Good. You can ask me anything anytime, trust me.
1: Should we start a start a little, like a little side blog that's like ask Jen? Ask Jen. <laughs> we could have a monthly column on the on the podcast
3: yeah you know what it should be is like this coffee reacted this way in the machine what kind of coffee is it
0: Ooh, that's great
3: like a name that tune
2: we'll call you in like once a month maybe and have you do that
3: all right
2: (laughs) we'll have a good rest of the day enjoy the fans.
3: you too all right bye guys thank you cheers
2: shout out to curtis brewers Curtis has been pretty amazing to us over the years, and they have some pretty cool stuff going on. This is their 75th anniversary this year. They are the first company to bring digital, digital technology to brewing. Going digi, straight digi. I think one of the coolest things they do is they
1: do 48 hour turnaround on all orders. So if you need a brewer in like two days,
2: you can get that. Yeah, and most of the time it's actually faster, which is a trip. Uh, the other thing is that they're a family-owned company, and we're super down with that. They are four generations deep, and they have really built themselves a legitimate empire. We really believe in the family-owned and operated deal.
1: They're from California, which is where we're from. so You know what's cool we in California? Solar. Solar. Solar.
2: solar. Energy efficiency. They have, what, 38,300? So some like odd thousands of solar panels. So many solar panels that they are 90% neutral in their energy use. So if that's not enough shout-outs and that's enough reason to get involved with these guys i don't really know what it is Chris. i got one more coffee well, tastes awesome oh yeah we drink it all the time out of curtis that's Brewers. just like a bonus i guess though yeah i mean if you want good coffee, it an want awesome coffee company. Yeah. and it's not cat and cloud try curtis